0: But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Solomon learned these things by his own sinful and wicked life choices after he already knew what was right. And I need you to understand that the sin of sexual lust is one of the most deceiving, and addictive sins that exists and that as we try to excuse our thought lives at times that the truth is that a life lived in lust in your heart is just as wicked as going into adultery and living that lifestyle I'm trying to be careful and not say too much here. We all understand that Christ made it very clear that if a man looks upon a woman and lusts after her in his heart, that he has committed adultery with her already in his mind and in his heart, right? I want you to notice, if you would please, verse number 27. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh. But I find not, what does he find not? One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Now, what did he just say? How many women did Solomon have? If you add this... The 300 and 700 together, he had how many? He had a thousand, right? I want you to look at that again. Which yet my soul seeketh, verse number 28 but I find not one man among a thousand. So he's one man among a thousand. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he has not found one good woman that was worth living for. And that his life was so much poison and so much wickedness and so much debauchery that he said it would have been better for a person to die than to ever start down that path. Are you listening to what he said? Now, I want you to look at the latter part of verse number 26. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso what pleaseth God shall what? Escape from her. But the sinner shall be what? Taken by her. Do you see that? So what is he saying here? We can try to patch work temporary fixes for lust and to wandering eye and a wandering mind. And we can try to put together all kinds of little formulas that can help try to hopefully prevent you or help you fight the battle. But here's what will prevent you from going down that path and what will help you to avoid that way. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her. There needs to be a desire in the heart of every man and woman in this room to please God. And if you live with a desire to please God, it will by itself usurp the path that you are headed down when you allow your mind and heart to lust without being checked. If you want victory over lust, live a life to please God. Have a desire to please God. And that in itself will put your heart in the right place to be able to overcome the temptations that arise when those things come upon you. Please understand me this evening. I I know the subject I'm speaking on and it's part of the reason why I wanted to dismiss the kids. I could have said this just to the adults tonight, but because it was... In the path of our study this evening, I did not want to dismiss our teenagers, but this is not just for teenagers. I know that adults are struggling with these things just as much as young people are, and we had better understand that no matter how much you try to excuse it and no matter how much you try to fight it, the truth is if you stay on that path, you are heading for a life that is more bitter than death. Are you listening? You are heading for a life that is more bitter than death. And you better believe the scriptures. And the way out of it is to have a heart and desire to, to love God and to please Him. To have a desire not to disappoint Him or hurt Him. Because that will follow you into those private corners that nobody else is witnessing. That will follow you into those dark rooms where nobody else can see. If you know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and you have a desire to please Him above all else, that will follow you everywhere you go and check and balance you everywhere you go. If your desire is to please God, not to disappoint Him, not to hurt Him, but out of love to do your best to please Him. And if or when you fall into that sin and give in to your temptation, your desire to please God will salvage you from being totally overcome by it because you will be cast to your knees in your heart or literally in despair and frustration and conviction over what you have done not because you got caught because most of the time this kind of sin only causes people to feel bad when they get caught but when you come upon this idea and understanding that we should love God and desire to please him in all that we do that will follow you way past getting caught because you know the one who loves you and died for you has already seen what you have done. May we live with a desire to please him and understand, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Are you listening? You better stay away. And if or when you fall into that temptation, you better repent quickly and keep short accounts with God and get back on the path of wanting to please Him. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would imprint these truths upon the hearts and minds of our young people here this evening and of our adults as well. I pray that you would deliver anybody here tonight that has been caught in the addiction of pornographic sin or even in what can become the addictive sin of adultery and fornication. I pray that you'd help us to hear the truth of your word, that it is more bitter than death. I pray that you'd please convict and help. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. All right. That's it. That's that's message number one. So. Um, Ladies, for sitting at those benches for so long, their backs are probably hurting a little bit. It takes patience and strength, so I appreciate you bearing with us through a kind of unique setup here this evening. You did a great job, and I appreciate your patience. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let's pick it up here in verse number 21. Now, I don't know how much longer this is going to take. We did maybe close to half of the study already for this evening. And so if we get done quickly, we get done quickly. I'll not just try to drag it out just because. But I do want us to notice here in verse number 21, a very interesting couple of verses. The Bible says also, Take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. (laughs) Now, we're going to get into verse number 22, but it's a very interesting statement that's made. Solomon says, and look, he's talking about people within his own house. I mean, he had all of these servants, so... He's talking about it is well within his realm, literally and figuratively, to address this and deal with this if he hears one of his servants speaking ill against him. But he's saying, you know what? You don't need to hear everything. Not even if it's within your right to hear it. Isn't that interesting? And why would that be? Because it doesn't help anything it doesn't it doesn't help us in one way or the other to know everything that is said about us or to worry about everything that is said about us it doesn't help so he says look take no heed unto all words that are spoken he says you don't need to be too nosy listening to every single thing that everybody says because you might just hear something bad about yourself And don't we all know it to be true? Oh, my soul. It's not good to be listening to other people's conversations. We don't need to hear every word of every conversation. It doesn't help. It's not good. We don't need to be informed about everything going on. I mean, we live in the information age... And because of that, everybody wants to know everything and they want to know every word that was ever spoken by every person. And the truth is, everybody is picking each other apart on social media and it's creeping its way into our homes and into our churches. And the reality is, people have thinner skins today than they ever have before and they can't take anything. And they are investigating everybody's words and listening to every word and it never does you any good. Can I ask you a question? If it Has it ever once benefited you to know something negative that was said about you? Has it ever helped your spirit be stronger? No, if anything, it only makes you angry and it makes you feel worse about yourself. This also implies that we should accept that not all people are going to agree with us or like us. And just move on you don't need to fixate on it you don't need to focus on it not everybody's going to agree with you not everybody's going to like you it does not help you to fixate on it you will torture yourself you will torture yourself worrying about every word that everybody says about you you will torture yourself you'll torture yourself wondering about what those people were talking about in the corner after church when they looked over at you you'll torture yourself You know the odds are they weren't saying a thing about you and somebody in the crowd just happened to look up and caught eyes with you. Those are the better odds. I'm telling you the truth. Those are the better odds. But because our minds race and run and we're always thinking about every word that's spoken, you will torture yourself thinking that everybody's against you and every word that is spoken is against you and it just won't help. You know, we can work together and have differing opinions and be okay with each other. That's maturity, or as I heard a preacher say, that's maturity. (laughs) There's one preacher that always he, he can't say he doesn't say. How do you say it? Do you say mature, or do you say mature? Okay, that's how I say it. But this one, he says mature every time I hear him. He says mature, and and I can't hardly listen when he says it. Look. You put a crowd of people together, we are going to have so many different opinions. You get us all out at a work day together, and you get four or five men standing around tackling the same problem, and there isn't a clear answer for it, and you say, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? You may get five different opinions, and they may all be good solutions. But the reality is, somebody has to make a decision and say, well, this is the solution we're going to try. And it doesn't make all the other four opinions wrong. It just means a direction had to be taken. But we get so fixated on, well, they didn't use my opinion. Well, they didn't listen to me. Well, they didn't take my word for it. Look, you might have a good idea too, but the truth is, as the pastor of the church, sometimes I'm going to have to make a decision and I know you're not all going to agree with it and you cannot live your life trying to make everybody happy because you will never accomplish it. You'll never accomplish it. You'll never be able to keep everybody happy. So, what should we live for instead? Not for man's opinion, but for biblical principles. Just live for principles establish principles in your life, make decisions based on those principles, and if you come across situations where you don't have answers, there's nothing wrong with seeking opinions, but at some point, somebody's got to make a decision and move forward, that's leadership. And if you make a decision and not everybody agrees with it, don't listen too closely and don't worry too much. Everybody will live, and you will live, and it will be better off for you not to worry about it. I'm preaching to myself. Big time. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26 if you would please. Proverbs chapter 26. And let's look at this passage again. I looked at it I think once months ago in Sunday school. We maybe even spent an entire Sunday school on it. I can't remember, but Proverbs chapter 26 and verse number 17 the Bible says he that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Right? we got a dog running around the neighborhood here that doesn't has a collar but doesn't seem to have a home. And it's leaving gifts all over the parking lot. And I walked outside earlier today and noticed that our hose was strung out. And I said, Levi, did you string that hose out there? Blame the little one. Um, Levi, why'd you pull that? I, th- I, think, I think actually I said, Levi, why'd you pull that hose out there? And he said, I didn't do that, Dad. It was already that way when I came out here. And I walked over and looked at it. And it's, it's, it's all chewed up. It's got, it's got multiple splits in it now. The hose is, is wasted. It's pointless. It's unusable at this point. And I keep telling my wife, there's going to come a day when that dog's going to be sitting out here in this field chewing on something and something's going to hit it. And she's like, don't do that. It hasn't done anything to us. Well, it has now. <laughs> and it's not going to get back up. If one of you, if one of you drives by to spy on us again, um, and, and you see the police outside my door, it's probably that, okay? Probably. Or my wife beat me, but it's probably... Could be both, but it's probably that. Sneak a barrel outside a window and take care of business. Um, Anyway. But the last thing in the world you want to do is go grab a wild dog by the ears. This is a bad idea. This is a bad plan. But this is the same thing we do when we pass by and meddle with strife that doesn't belong to us. Stay in your area. Don't listen to every word. Don't meddle with other people's problems. You know, I've said this before, and I want to say it again. I, I was taught this, and I'm glad I was taught this. Dr. Keith Gomez taught this when I, was, when I was there for those years. He said, you know, some preachers get into these political fights with each other where if this guy said something against this guy, they expect you, since you're friends, to also disown that guy. And he said, the reality is it's not my fight. I don't meddle with things that don't belong to me. If it doesn't pertain to me, if it didn't happen to me, if it doesn't have anything to do with me, I don't care if brother so-and-so and and brother so-and-so had it out five years ago and you think I should be on one of your sides and not have the other one come preach. I don't care what you think. Brother so-and-so and and I don't have a problem. Brother so-and-so and I don't have a problem. I'm not getting in the middle of your affairs. And he said it would be really good if Christians would do the same thing. If another brother or sister in the church has ought against another brother or sister in the church, it's not yours to worry about. You know what would be really good? If all of us could just live with each other and if somebody has a problem with another person, it doesn't matter to you. doesn't matter. Who cares? They didn't say it to you. They didn't do it to you. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. I've heard my dad say, now listen, and I've seen it come true in all my years of pastoring. He's absolutely right. I've heard my dad say, more times than not, the third party in a situation, the one that it didn't happen to, but the friend of a friend who heard about it, is usually the one that ends up getting the worst hurt for the situation. He said, because what's amazing is, this person moves on, and that person moves on, and the person in the middle who decided to choose sides stays with all the pain. <clears throat> so, his advice the same as the scriptures don't meddle with problems that aren't yours. Doesn't matter. Well, did you hear what they said about my friend? Did you hear it? Well, my friend told me, well, okay. Now listen, I love all of my friends, and I think they love me too. But can we all be, just be realistic about this. We can all be listening to the same conversation and get totally different things. Yeah, you you ought to try pastoring for a little while. Listen, it is amazing when you start digging into things how one person said something Another person took it the wrong way. It wasn't what they intended, but that's what they thought. So they got mad at them, and then they got mad at them, and then their friend in the middle decided to choose sides, and they got hurt. And then before you know it, you've got more parties in this than need to be, and the reality is it was all just a big misunderstanding. That's why it's really good not to take sides. Because a lot of times what's really going on is there was just a misunderstanding. Why is it so stinking quiet? All right, you want me to take the gloves off? Gloves are coming off. This is one of the biggest problems in small towns and small churches. And I'm just saying that as an outsider from the outside looking in. And you know I love this area. You know I am thankful that God brought us here. If, if you think I am attacking our church or our region and being negative about it, go listen to Sunday night's message again. I told you this has been a healing process for me and my family. We are so thankful we are here. But as an outside observer, can I tell you that when God moved my family to Parkersburg, West Virginia when I was a boy, small town mentality, and when God moved us here, both churches in both towns have almost identical personalities. People hold grudges, you hang on to things that happened 15 or 20 years ago. It damages the church. people have problems with each other, that nobody can really identify where the root of it is anymore, and people are taking sides all the time, and it destroys the unity of a church and honestly and frankly destroys the power of God on a ministry. It just does. And I've just decided, I don't know if you've seen this or not, I'm not getting involved. I'm just not doing it. I'm not getting involved in 20-year-long and 10-year-long and 5-year-long and 2-month-long fights. I'm not doing it. I really want to be able to love everybody. And if you all want to fight, go for it. I'm not fighting with you. No, don't go for it. Get your hearts right with God. It doesn't help anything. We are literally being taught not to be nosy. And we're also being taught to have thick skins and not worry what people say. Those would be two principles that would really help all of us. And and can I say, this has been a battle of mine for a long time. Man, I used to get offended at everything. I took everything personal. I was so emotional. And I'm talking about uh, when I was a teenager and younger. I took everything so personal. And when I moved to... Providence Baptist College, they are so sarcastic and so black and white and so cut and dried and so harsh. It's like boot camp for Christians. And either you didn't take things personal anymore or you failed. And it got hardened out of me. just did. And taught out of me and convicted out of me. Now, I'm not saying I never get hurt anymore. Everybody gets hurt. We're all susceptible to words. In all things, or in many things, we offend, right? I mean, it, just, it does happen. Not saying I'm impermeable, but um, it's a really good day when you finally decide, you know what, I just I cannot afford to listen to every word or to let every word hurt. It's just not a quality of life. I want to live happy, I want to live with joy, so I choose not to meddle. Because meddling, <laughs> that's that's where it gets you. You see it in verse number 21? Uh, also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. You see it? I mean, everybody on Twitter is picking everybody's words apart. Politicians are hanging on every word that each other's saying so that they can pick each other apart. We live in a culture that is using every word against everybody and we are embracing that culture as Christians and we shouldn't be. verse number 22 that wasn't the end of the sentence for oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others hello we all know none of us are perfect and every now and then we all vent yes it's not the end of the world. I'm not saying we should do it. It's not an excuse to gossip, but the truth is, husbands and wives, you know this is true. Sometimes it's like a honeymoon and sometimes you murmur under your breath when they walk out of the room. There's only like two people that are willing to laugh about that. <laughs> knock the halos off you know it's true so it's best for us just not to worry about those things because you know what the truth is it should be the mindset of each person that every now and then we might might even spout off Now, now that's not that's not an excuse to gossip it's not an excuse to have a bad spirit he's just saying everybody spouts off every now and then so don't be casting stones hello Don't be cast in stones. Verse number 23, All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. (laughs) Hello? He said, "I've, I've observed these things by wisdom, and I even said, I'll be wise about these things. And then still, sometimes I wasn't. Right? I mean, does that make you feel better? We all let things get to us sometimes. We all, we all know what to do and we all know what's best. Sometimes we all get caught. Right? We just do. And the best thing for us to do is get right with God about it and move on and nobody take things too personal and just understand. Unfortunately, it's just kind of life. And the truth is, according to the book of James chapter number 3, if you can bridle your tongue, you're perfect. Right? Right? And we should all be working towards that spiritual perfection. I believe I spout off less now than I did a year ago. I try. Don't ask my wife. I think, but we should all be growing. And there, there should come a day when we, just, we don't talk against people. Verse number 24, that which is far off and exceeding deep. Who can find it out? Applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death a woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands is bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, coming one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not one man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. What did he just say? I've tried to drive this point home recently, and we need to hear it again. God didn't make sin. God didn't put sin here. God didn't even put death here. Sin brought that into us. Right? Who should we be angry at because of death and cancer and, and diseases and heart attacks? And who should we be angry at? God? No. Oh, who put that here? It came here because of sin. Right? And how did sin get here? The temptation of Satan and the weakness of man. Right? So who should we be angry at? Because of all of this wickedness. God created man upright. Right? But man seeks out all kinds of inventive ways to do wrong. And it's our fault that all of these wrong things happen. It is our fault when things go wrong. And we need to be humble enough to admit that God made man upright, but it is our own fault that we live in sin. And when we live in sin... And I heard a preacher say this once. The truth is, often we blame the devil for things that are really just our fault. And I think it's true. Sometimes we can blame the devil for some temptations. There's no question about that. But the reality is, In Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The thought of his heart. Not the temptations of Satan, the thought of his wicked heart. In Hosea chapter 13 and verse number 9, God says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Thou hast destroyed thyself. In Mark chapter 7, verse number 21, the Bible says, For from within, out of the heart of men... Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Right? God created us upright. We've sought out many inventions. The truth is, we are to blame for our own sinful choices. The devil gets blamed for things that are truly just our own flesh most of the time. And the reason why we love to blame the devil, myself included, my hand is up, is because it's an accountability thing. Because it's easier to blame the devil for our sinful choices than it is to admit we just have lust and fleshly decisions and fleshly desires within ourselves and we messed up. It requires humility to admit that we are the source of our sinful nature and that we are the source of our sinful decisions. It takes humility to admit that. It's pride that says, the devil made me do it, or, well, the devil tempted me really bad, and I just couldn't resist. No, 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 no. Sometimes he brings long temptation, but it is still our choice. Yes? I had this conversation with a man the other day. It doesn't exactly apply, but it's close. As an old college professor used to say, I'm on the subject, but I'm off the subject. Um, I was asked by a man the other day, he said, Preacher Man, that's what he called it. Preacher Man, answer me a question. I said, what's up? He said, when you're tempted. No, it's not a sin to be tempted. He said, that's what I was going to ask you. He said, well then, what is a sin? I said, okay, that's a good question. Jesus was tempted in all points, yet without sin. So sin—it temptation itself is not a sin. Right? To be tempted to do wrong is not in itself a sin. To give in to the temptation, that's where the sin starts. Right? So, let me give you an example. You get tempted to take drugs, that wasn't a sin that you had that temptation, that you had that desire. To take the drugs, that's the sin. Right? Was it a sin to have a a temptation for alcohol? No, it's not a sin to have a temptation for alcohol. It's a sin if you give in to that temptation and go drink. Are you with me? Here's another one. And here's a little bit of a humdinger, right? Um, When does lust become a sin? Now, in my opinion, if you're walking through a store and a man or woman is dressed inappropriately and you see it, a temptation begins. And in my opinion, seeing it at first is not a sin. But once you are confronted with the fact that there is somebody dressed inappropriately in front of my eyes and then you give in to that temptation and you look longer or you look again. The choice to keep looking or to look again is when it became a sin. So, we have to be honest with ourselves. We can blame the devil until we're blue in the face. Well, the devil tempted me. That's why I sinned. No, 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 no. You still had a choice after the temptation. Are you with me? So we see it here. The Bible says that God has created man upright. But man sure does seek out a lot of inventions. Did you catch that? And when we are caught in the snares of the devil, no doubt we should be angry at him. But we should also have some self-accountability and admit, God, I was wrong. It wasn't the devil, it was me. And against Thee and Thee only have I sinned. Yes? So what have we learned tonight? Don't listen to every word. You might hear somebody criticizing you. And if you do, just remember, you've done it yourself too. Remember that it's better to die than to live a life of the bitterness of lust it adds so much grief to your life that it'd be better to die than to give into that and Solomon said I was one man among a thousand women and I never found one hello well no because the kind of women that he was seeking were not the right type of women And we need to understand the seriousness of lust and the lack of satisfaction that you'll find in it and at the end of your life, the great pain that you will have lived in because of it. And lastly, we need to be reminded, the truth is, God created us upright, but it is our own heart that brings all these inventions along. And we are the source of our own problems. Most of the time. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please for your word help us this evening i don't know with the various subjects what may have spoken to the hearts of each and every one of us but i pray that you would help us to be humble enough to listen to your holy spirit with heads bowed and eyes closed,